Hello and welcome to this edition of our Bible study on the book of Ephesus, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. We're so glad you could join us for this, and we hope that you're enjoying this series and this study. We are in Ephesians in chapter 3, and um, let's review a little bit, shall we, about what we've been looking at in the first um, in these first couple of chapters, we see that we have uh, Paul writing, or at least an author. This this letter may have been circulated widely to other churches. We don't know, but it, the author is uh, self-identified as Paul. And he begins by talking about the benefits of being part of the family of God, being a child of God. Here, are the, you know, what, what, what are the benefits? What's so great about it? And then he talks about being free from the bondage of death and of sin and being uh, made heirs to an inheritance, being part of a family, being adopted in, and then moves on to talking about how Christ has overcome death and overcome sin and gives us an avenue into overcoming as well. And he emphasizes that it's nothing you've done. It's the grace of God working through the blood of Christ to make you whole. Verse 8 of chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Um, this is Paul's theology. It's very clear and it's very simple, that we are saved by grace, uh, saved, saved by grace through faith. Um, that is his, uh, his essential message. And he continues to talk uh, through chapter 2 about the Jews and the Gentiles and the, uh, the, the Gentiles being an adopted, adopted children. And so in, in, in chapter 3, he's going to go a little more in depth about his mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles. This is what Paul was specifically called to, was to preach to the Gentiles. And he says that in many parts of his letters, that he was the, the, the minister, the apostle assigned to reaching those outside of God's people, or what was initially God's people, the Israelites. So let's back up into chapter 2, and let's read through, because um, I think it's important when you're going through verse by verse uh, in, in a book that you do not break it up strictly in chapters and treat them as isolated things. We need to back up, because it's a letter. There were no chapter and verse divisions in the letter. So let's go back and read it the way it would have been written and the way it would have been read. Uh, and understand it better. So let's start in verse 19 of chapter 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In other words, a new house, a new dwelling place is being built and being brought into that construction, into that foundation are the Gentiles along with the Jews, and Jesus is what holds that all together. You see what Paul is saying? Without Christ, the Jews, the Gentiles cannot coexist in a, in a, in a saved relationship to one another. Only through Christ is it possible that all of mankind can be saved. Um, uh, Christ uh, himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Two things are happening. A house, a dwelling place for the Lord is being built, not a temple, not with hands, but is being built spiritually. And within that, uh, those people, within that dwelling place, Jews and Gentiles come together. They're brought together by the blood of Christ and are being 
fitted together. Just like you fit together brick and tile and those, God is fitting them together through Christ so that they can be uh, a dwelling place for the Lord, being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Um, I think that's beautiful. I think understanding how amazing it is, because look at look at any other, I, I say this often, look at any other world religion. Look at any other people. Look at any other faith. You'll find some things in common. There's a higher power, a deity, a god, or gods. There are the people, the subjects. And that God says, I want you to be more like me. I want you to reach up to where I am. Okay, I have a, um, a job for you, a task for you, whatever. And there's a series of rules and things to follow. Christianity stands alone in that our God doesn't look down and say, okay, you need to come up to where I am. He comes down to where we are in Christ and then draws us to him. And we don't do anything in that equation uh, outside of acceptance. And also, there is no limitation on who. Um, a lot of other religions, especially the major faiths that have that kind of paradigm, they're pretty exclusive as to who they apply to. Uh, nations and ethnicities and that sort of thing. Uh, and even if they are open to a wider, diverse um, demographic, there are certainly some a hierarchy within them that, well, if you're from here, well, you're just a little bit less, you know. Um, we're a true whatever. There's none of that in the Bible. It's not there. There's no... Um, there's, there's no difference. There's no division. There's no citizenship in anything but Christ. And Paul is saying that here when he talks about uh, being built together, Jew and Gentile, saved by the grace of God, saved by the blood of Christ, um, saved by their faith in that, and brought into a relationship with God and with one another, and brought into obedience as a result. And so we go on to chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Okay, He's saying, for, th here, for this reason, I, who am dedicated to preaching to the Gentiles. And now we have a typical Paul sentence where if we read this whole thing, it is going to be confusing to parse. So let's try to take it a step at a time. Verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there may be made known to, the, to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Okay, I need to take a breath there because <laughs> there's this dash after Gentiles and then you think he's going to give a little explanation. We're going to go back to it. No, it just goes on and on. Let, let's break this down. This is what makes Paul difficult at times. Uh, punctuation was not a thing <laughs> when they wrote this. And um, as it's been translated and put together, it's, I mean, we're doing the best we can, but it doesn't follow English rules of grammar very often. 
So he identifies himself, I, Paul, and when he says a prisoner, uh, he means someone who is dedicated to or um, assigned to something. Uh, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, meaning he, he, is, he is assigned on, the, on behalf of Jesus, on, on the basis of Jesus, to do what? To preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And then he says, uh, this is who I am. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, and then he's going to explain what that was. I'm a, I'm a, a minister to the Gentiles, and you should have heard about what I'm telling you, what I'm teaching, what I'm bringing. And he says, but I'm going to clarify it for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I mentioned before in brief, as I wrote before in brief. That brings us up through verse 3. This idea of a mystery, we see that in Paul's writings over and over and over. He talks about the mystery, the mystery, the mystery. It's not some secret. It's not this... Ooh, you know, there's no, there's no symbols and codes to, to figure out this mystery. What is this mystery Paul knew? Mystery simply means something that is covered up, something that is hidden, something that is um, unknown. You know, it's a mystery. We think of it as some sort of, you know, uh, something to decipher. A mystery is simply something that is not understood yet, not known yet, covered up. And it was revealed to Paul. The mystery, um, and he has made it known to them before. Um, and what he's saying there is that you should have heard of God's mission that he gave me, his duty that he gave me, and that was to preach to the Gentiles, and that, and that it, I, it was revealed to me that there was this mystery. This mystery was revealed to me. And what was that? And he says, as I wrote before in brief, verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. What is it about this mystery of Christ? What is that? Verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. This, this hasn't been told before. Whether it was before Christ or around the time, they didn't know this yet. So Paul is going to be the one to reveal this thing about Jesus that was not yet understood until now. Um. Okay, to be specific, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. Now, why Paul decided to take six verses to let that out, That's you're just going to take that up with Paul one day, okay? That's the way he wrote. But that's it. That's it. Now, think about what that means. Okay, the Gentiles have a seat at the table. The Gentiles have a place in the kingdom. The, the non-Jews are, are a part of God's family through Christ. Now, that's the mystery, right? The mystery of Christ, the mystery that was revealed. That's how Paul describes it. This is just something that was hidden. Were the Gentiles always welcome and loved by God? Yes. God always loved them. God worked through his people, Israel, for a time but when Christ died, what his blood did was not just open the door for Jews to be saved from the law. It kicked down the gate and let everybody have access to the saving power of Christ's blood, the amazing grace of God, and a home in heaven. 
And so Paul is saying there was this thing. This, this was always true. This was always there. But it wasn't really talked about and it wasn't revealed because it wasn't time yet. Can you imagine if Jesus had come preaching salvation for the Gentiles? They would have killed him instantly. It wouldn't have taken nearly as long as it did and he wouldn't have gained any followers. He came and was preaching a redemption from the law for his people, for God's people. And once he was gone, then it was Peter with Cornelius, then it was Paul, and it was others who were charged with the task of making known to the world that the door is open for all. That's called God's timing, and that's how he works. We have to be aware that that patience is a key with evangelism. We think, I've got to get it done now. I want it to be fixed now. I want it to be better now. I want it to work now. There may be things about the church that don't get corrected until long after you're gone. I mean, there are some things wrong with the church today. Let's be fair. There are some things that are dysfunctional. There are a lot of fights that we shouldn't be having. There are a lot of things wrong with the state of Christian churches today. They're not all going to get fixed tomorrow. There are going to be things that we work for that we never see the end of. That's okay. We keep working. Jesus did not live on this earth to see the time of Gentiles joining with Jews to worship God the Father. But there was a time, and it was God's time, and it was, you know, 20, 30 years after Jesus left this earth that it happened. And we've continued to wrestle with that and, and continue to try and emphasize and expand the, the, the welcome mat of heaven. But here, Paul, it took, it took a Pharisee, by the way, one of the people that, you know, one of, the, one of the same political party that conspired to kill Jesus. It took one of them meeting Jesus in a vision uh, to turn his heart and to make him the great evangelist of the Gentiles. It's an amazing story. And now he's t speaking to these Gentiles, which is primarily who's in Ephesus, and he's saying, it's my job to share the gospel with you. This is the task I've been given. This is the ministry I've been given, and it was revealed to me, this mystery, this thing that wasn't revealed before, that no one had heard yet, that even Jesus didn't teach, and here we are. But we have the authority. We've been charged by God. We preach Jesus, and the mystery is that the Gentiles get in too. You get to come along as well. Jesus said you can come in. So, verse 7, of which, this is the mystery he's talking about, the promise uh, in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Beautiful language there by Paul. Just absolutely poetic language. And he says, here's my job. This is my job description. I preach Jesus to everyone. To make it known. It didn't, wasn't it good to have good news? 
isn't it great to have good news? Um, revealing news to people actually has this weird psychological, it's like a drug. Have you ever known something? And I don't mean like salacious gossip. I mean, have you ever heard something that you know nobody else knows yet? I hear that so-and-so is getting the promotion down at the hospital. They're going to be the new CEO, right? You know it. Doesn't it make you feel a little bit good to go tell people? Did you know that the brain chemistry behind that is like taking a shot of a drug? I mean, it's like sharing news with people is this, boom, this big dopamine punch to your brain. And and you love it. Everybody loves it. Everybody likes having something to tell. It's why gossip is such a terrible uh, and pernicious problem. Um, but But when it's good news... We want to share it. It's something we can share. Boy, we just love it. It feels good. And can you imagine being Paul? Paul, here's some news I want you to make known to people. The Gentiles get in too. My goodness. Not only would that be a little earth-shattering for Paul, who was of the of the uh, more uh, mainstream Jewish leaders, but it, it, once he wrapped his brain around that as, as someone who had a faith in Jesus... You think that would have been exciting? You get to go around and tell all these people that they're getting in when they didn't think they could? I don't know how many of you are football fans or if you watch a lot of the NFL. Uh, one thing that's become popular in recent years, when they do their Hall of Fame, they have a Hall of Fame, Canton, Ohio, when they do their Hall of Fame election and they notify those on the ballot of their election to the Hall of Fame, there's this guy, I can't remember his name, but he's the president of the National Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and he goes around uh, to all the people that have been elected and surprises them and announces to them that they're getting in. And and I've heard him talk about it. It's the greatest job in the world because he gets to go and make people happy. He gets to go and tell people their dream has come true. Well, imagine being Paul. It's a similar job. You get to go around and tell people that they get into Earth-shattering, paradigm-shifting news, sure, um, but joyful, but joyful. And listen to the way he explains it. To me, the very least of all saints. He's, so he starts out with humility. I, I'm not worthy of this, but to me, the guy who is a constant, you know, constantly messing up, constantly falling short, this guy, this guy, this task was given. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. To share good news with people that need it. What a great job. What a great job. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for which, uh, which for ages has been hidden. In other words, I get to tell people about Jesus. I get to tell the Gentiles that they're saved. And to bring to light, to reveal how this mystery has been manifest through Christ. So that here's how he describes his job to preach to the Gentiles about the riches of Christ, to make known how the mystery that's been hidden in God has been revealed and how it's been put into effect, um, and, and put into effect so the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church and to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now's the time, Paul says. The time has come to reveal the truth, reveal the mystery, and tell the story. We don't have anything earth-shattering and new like Jews and Gentiles and all of that. But what we do have still shakes this earth to its core. 
What we do have is still good news. It's still life-changing news. Do we approach every day, do we approach ministry, do we approach evangelism with that in mind? Do we go to people, into their lives, into their homes, with that same excitement and joy? I mean, the way we were describing how great it must be to be Paul, to have the good news to share with the Gentiles, do you feel that good news when you get up every morning? Do you feel the same way? You should. doesn't matter it's been around 2,000 years. It doesn't change the fact that it is, it is groundbreaking. It is life-changing. And you get to wake up every morning with the chance to tell someone about it. Ephesians is about our identity. It's about who we are. We are people who are brought into a family, who are brought into um, uh, an adopted relationship. We're made heirs of an inheritance. We, uh, we are saved from death. Even when we were already dead, Jesus decided to die for us. Looked down at us, looked at our soul laying there dead on the floor with a bullet through its heart and said, yeah, you're worth it, and got on that cross. And all of that so that we could have a story to tell. The most powerful stories are told by the people that experience them. Um, that's also why we read reviews on Amazon of a product we're about to buy. We want to see what other people have experienced it think. You and I have a story to tell as Christians. You and I have a story that we've experienced. It's one we ought to share. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died for our sins and he rose again to free us from sin and death. Tell your story. Tell your story. And we'll see you next time right back here to keep pushing through the book of Ephesians.